Good morning, Parkview. Wow. Thank you. Wow. That feels nice. Hey, I am so glad to be here. I am so glad to be back. If you have come to Parkview in the last three months, my name is Dave Davis. I'm one of the pastors here, and I've been on sabbatical for the last three months, and today is my first day back. And so I am truly excited to be here. I woke up excited to be here. I'm still excited to be here. And I've missed you. I've missed my church. I've missed my church family. And it's really, really good to be back. We're going to tell you a little bit more about my time away in the weeks to come. But, but we are in the middle of a series called On the Move, where we have invited some of the most incredible uh, people to come and share with us uh, each and every Sunday morning. These folks have inspired us. They have partnered with us to live out our mission as a church here and around the world. We started out with Finney Thomas from JKPS and updated us on our partnerships in India. And last week you heard from uh, Jenny Wang uh, to update you on our partnership with World Relief and the work that they do around the world. And this morning we have the incredible opportunity to hear from Jeremy Cowart. Jeremy is a world-renowned photographer. Uh, you have seen his images. You certainly have seen the people in which he has taken pictures of. And he is here to tell us a little bit about his story. He has leveraged his creative abilities with his passion for Jesus and is making a difference in the world. So will you help me welcome Jeremy Cowart? Thank you. Good morning. It's good to be here with you all this morning. I flew in from Nashville last night. Uh, I love coming to Chicago because as a kid, I was a diehard Michael Jordan fan. Like, even my ceiling was covered in Michael Jordan. My parents bought me red and black blankets. I was a member of the Flight Club. Does anybody remember that? The Flight Club? Had a gold Jordan Flight logo necklace in seventh grade. Thought I was awesome. Uh, anyway, so I always dreamed of coming to Chicago. So when I come here, I geek out. Uh, uh, about being here. Um, but I am uh, not traditionally a pastor or a speaker, and so uh, because of that, I decided to draw my life story. Uh, I'm a formerly graphic designer and a painter, so I'm going to share that with you all in a second. Uh, but before I do, I want everybody to close your eyes for a second, and I want you to identify the thing in your life that you say to yourself, I can't do that. It could be a uh, business idea, it could be something in your marriage, a goal in your marriage, or something with your kids, or a hobby. It could be all kinds of things, but just I want you to identify a thing in your life that you've, you've resorted to the words, I can't. You can open your eyes when you identify that, um, and I just want you to keep that in mind as I tell my story. Um, and so with that being said, we can uh, get started. So my name is Jeremy, and this is my story. I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. I grew up in a suburb called Hendersonville. Hendersonville was originally known for being the hometown of Mr. Johnny Cash. Now it's known for being the hometown of Mrs. Taylor Swift. I love you, Taylor. <laughs> so growing up, I was never smart. I couldn't pay attention for more than three minutes. I was quiet, shy, and really just average. I didn't make great grades. Just kind of, kind of blended in. I always remember telling my mom and dad, I can't do this. That's when my dad started reprogramming my brain 
He reprogrammed it with one simple sentence. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He said this for years, over and over and over again. And in seventh grade, I discovered I could draw. Uh, there's my Jordan posters, by the way. So I started taking art more seriously. Something came alive in me whenever I would create. I was failing miserably at all the mandatory academics, and something came alive in me. I'm sorry, I was failing miserably at all the mandatory academics came to life in the arts. So, and then I was tested with a test in my senior year, and here were the official results of the aptitude test. In inductive reasoning, I got a 15 out of 100. Analytical reasoning, I got a 5 out of 100. Structural visualization, 15. Uh, let's see, observation, 15. My English vocabulary was a 5. Pretty sure it's still a 5. Pretty sure that's why I'm not a pastor. Um, so perfect. It's now been confirmed that I'm a complete and total moron. Thank you, aptitude test. That's me photoshopped onto Bill Gates' body, by the way. Uh, when it came time for college, all I knew was art. I could make pretty things, and that was about it. So I wanted to be a painter for the rest of my life. My parents made a call that was very wise, and in hindsight, way ahead of their time. My mom said, it's going to be tough to make a living as a painter. You should look into computers and graphic design instead. Whoa, here comes those two words again. I can't. There's no way. Computers are for smart people. Computers are for people who can focus. I can't focus. So therefore, I can't. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, they reminded me. So off to the races, so I went ahead and reluctantly jumped in. And guess what happened? I fell in love. Now it turns out the Photoshop is the coolest tool on the planet. <laughs> and so it's not just for smart people, it's for anybody, and it was definitely for me. So I studied graphic design in college, and I got my first job at a high-end ad agency. After a year, my boss fired me. Not only did he fire me, but he suggested that I find another career altogether. Thanks, boss. Appreciate that. See, he was too late. I had already started believing that I could do anything I wanted to do. So thankfully, I ignored him, and I worked for a couple more ad agencies. And then I finally realized that world for me was boring because I was designing websites for air conditioning companies, and it's literally impossible to make an AC unit look sexy. So at the time, I had a few friends doing music. I knew how to design album covers and websites, so why not work for my friends instead? After having the idea, I quit my comfortable job. The next day, I didn't think, I just jumped. Called the company Pixel Grazer, and it blew up. We were doing album covers, websites, merch. We did it all. One day, a friend said, hey, you should buy this new thing called a digital camera. I started to date myself. Here we go again, back to square one. I can't. There's no way. Photography is for smart people, I thought. I took one photography class in college and I made a D. True story. Nearly failed. My uh, professor seemed to hate me, so I swore off photography for life. I literally told my, all my friends I will never become a photographer. So what did I do? I went to the bookstore and bought a book called Digital Photography for Dummies. I really did. True story. <laughs> I learned about these scary things called f-stops, shutter speeds, ISO, white balance, and more. To my utter surprise, I actually understood it all. So maybe I wasn't an idiot after all. I learned, uh, went to the bookstore, I'm sorry, went and bought a whopping three megapixel camera and was ready to take over the world. And next thing I know, I was shooting those musician friends of mine for fun, and I wasn't awful. So I finally told all my design clients, hey, I'm taking pictures now too. And you know what happened? They started hiring me. 
I landed a gig for a record label. And I ended up beating a, a well-known Hollywood agent and her roster of celebrity photographers. So she calls me and she said, hey, I'd love to represent you. Your work is amazing. By the way, you know how to light big sets, right? Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. But I had never lit a big set before. And so we signed a deal, and within weeks I was shooting for TV networks like Fox and E. I uh, got to shoot, uh, got to shoot this guy named Sting. It was crazy. The immediate success was shocking. I went from amateur photographer to celebrity photographer in just a few months. Since then, I've now photographed a long list of celebrities. The Kardashians, Ryan Seacrest, Taylor Swift, Kelly Clarkson, Carrie Underwood, Gwyneth Paltrow, and many, many, many more. I've now published four photography books. Toured the country with Britney Spears, Long Story. Uh, got to pre uh, photograph President Obama on the first day of his inauguration. Got to follow the Pope's journey to the US. Apparently I just stayed behind him the whole time. Um, my photos have now been uh, published in Sports Illustrated, ESPN, Rolling Stone, Vanity Fair, all the major magazines I could dream of. And I've built a large following on the internet over the years through social media. Um, in 2015, Adweek named me one of 10 visual artists who are changing the way we see the world. And then in 2014, Huffington Post and Forbes named me the most influential photographer on the internet. So I did it, I thought. I made it. But wait, who cares? So what? Being a photography rock star really my goal. I realized that I shouldn't aim for greatness and stop there, because greatness, I figured out, should serve a greater purpose. So what was my greater purpose in life? That led me to the idea of giving photos away to people in need. So I gathered together a bunch of photography, photography friends. We spent the day at a, at a gym doing just that. So I put a simple video of the day on Facebook, and people responded with, hey, I want to be a part of this if you ever do it again. So that's when I had the thought. What if this was a global event where photographers did this all over the world? No way, I can't. Global, seriously? You see, that idea that my parents instilled in me not only helped me overcome my challenges and insecurities, but it blew off my limitations and opened up the world to me. So why not start a global movement? Nine months later, I put the idea out there and word spread fast. So what happened that December of 2009? Bless you. 3,400 photographers and 5,000 volunteers responded, and we gave away 41,000 portraits in 543 locations in 42 countries around the world. Since then, the numbers are now approaching 100,000 people. They've given away nearly half a million portraits in over 70 countries in every American state. But it's not the, the numbers that count for us. It's the stories, dignity, beauty, and value, a sense of self-worth. These are all the things being given away that material possessions can't necessarily deliver. You've seen grown women have their hair and makeup done for the very first time. We've seen men have their first pictures taken outside of their gel mugshots. They've actually said that. We've restored photos after natural disasters. We've had kids see their faces for the first time in third world countries. We've had people get jobs using their portraits as their new headshots. 
We've had photographers say, this is the greatest thing I've ever done with my camera. We've had photography competitors become community after serving together. The help portrait was a crazy simple idea that has now reached around the world. And it made me realize that a simple idea and a camera could go a long way. So how else could I help? So when the earthquake struck Haiti years ago, I was dumbfounded. I couldn't believe my eyes. More importantly, I couldn't believe what the media was saying about it all. They just kept mentioning how many buildings had fallen down, how many people died. It was all statistics to them. But what about the people? What about their stories, I wondered. So as I sat on my couch watching TV, I wondered, what if these people could tweet? Twitter was early back then, uh, but so what would they have to tell the world? Most of them couldn't tweet, so I went down and gave them a microphone in the form of a photograph. So we went around asking people what they had to tell the world. The results were staggering, heart-wrenching, beautiful, and inspiring. This man said, my chopped leg is not the problem. The lack of government is the problem. This woman simply said, oh, the things I've seen. This man said, the earth may shake, but Haiti remains in my heart. This woman simply said, God, please show me the path of hope. If somebody had hope, we heard there was a wedding going on. That thought was insane. There were still aftershocks happening. There were literally still dead bodies laying in the streets. Who in their right mind would get married amongst all this devastation? So we found the wedding. We asked them what they had to say to the world. And the response seriously blew us away. They found the only paper plate laying around outside the church, and they wrote on it, Love conquers all. So a couple years later, I decided to go to Uganda with my friends at Exile International. But this time, I wanted to collaborate with children, specifically former child soldiers who had been abducted by Joseph Kony and the Lord's Resistance Army. As a form of art therapy, we worked together to tell their stories. We interviewed them. I took portraits of them. And I had them draw the pains of their past and the dreams of their future. I even taught them how to draw these stories in Photoshop. And the stories weighed heavy on our team. One girl was uh, forced to participate in the murder of her own mother. She was seven years old at the time. Then there was this little girl, Dillish. She had finished drawing her story. She said, wait, I need to draw more. She said, they killed my mother in front of me and my baby sister. My sister started crying. So they picked her up by the legs and slammed her into a tree to kill her and to silence her. This is Dillish's art this is her artwork. She needed to draw this to process it as a form of the art therapy they do. That's the soldiers, the tree, her sister, the guns, the camouflage. Other stories were even more graphic, more horrific and evil to recount here today. But they all had glimpses of hope and redemption woven throughout. And I wanted to help show that. So I took their portraits and their stories and their artwork and I combined them all together to make these mixed media pieces of art.
finished, I uh, print them out and I draw over on top of them in the studio to continue the collaboration between me and these kids. And then we sell them on the internet uh, at exileinternational.org slash posa. And 100% of that money goes back to them to continue their art therapy. So speaking of kids, my wife Shannon and I, we have uh, two biological children. And we just recently adopted two more children from Haiti as well. And you know what I tell them all the time, right? Philippians 4.13. Adoption is one of the hardest things we've done as a family, but also the most rewarding. My two older children have welcomed the new siblings with open arms, and our uh, new children are uh, overcoming language and cultural barriers while learning to embrace life in an entirely new environment. And every day they are all reminding us what it means to live out the idea that it took me so long to embrace. Nothing's more important than family, right? I not only have two supportive parents, but I have two older brothers as well. A few years ago, we took our daughters to a daddy-daughter dance. That night, my brother Mike, also a photographer, took just one photo of me and my daughter dancing in the the fake snow. In return, I took a photo of he and his daughter, uh, Reese, who's my niece. Fast forward a few weeks, I was speaking at a conference in Vegas. I was literally on stage when I got a 911 text from my dad. He called me and said, Mike just passed away of a heart attack. He was 43 years old, and we had no idea anything was wrong. And that photo was the last time I ever took his picture, and one of the last times I saw him alive. It was just a couple weeks before his death. So in the weeks and months that followed his passing, I began asking, what if I died tomorrow? What about my kids? What if I could teach them everything I've learned in life just in case? See, we live in an age where it's really easy to document our thoughts and our feelings, but why don't we document our wisdom? Could you imagine if your grandparents or great-grandparents would have had the technology we have right now and they would have done this? If they could have taught you everything they learned in life. With the beginning of our digital family trees, five generations from now, your family will be Googling you They'll be reading your Facebook posts, your snaps, your Instagram, your tweets, everything. It's scary, right? So what are you saying and teaching them right now? That line of thinking inspired me to launch something called C University. It's my way of recording my wisdom, uh, recording the things I've learned about photography, lighting, Photoshop, even things like fear of failure, marriage, work, balance, all kinds of things, business. Um, If I think about it, we record it. We've done about 180 videos now. Spooning with wolves. So think about that. Little shy, fifth percentile me from Hendersonville, Tennessee. And I'm now teaching the world about the very things in life that I thought I couldn't do. So now you know what I've done with my 38 years, well, 40 years of uh, life here on earth. But what about my future? The truth is, there's another idea that I had about three years ago that I've been terrified of. It's my Mount Everest. It's my Goliath. It's bigger than everything I just shared. The dream is I want to build a hotel called the Purpose Hotel. Not just a hotel, but a global hotel chain. See, this hotel would hopefully change the world. The rooms are going to sponsor a child and tell their story. 
The uh, internet fee is going to fight against human trafficking and cyber trafficking. The room keys will be connected to the giving keys, which employ the homeless. There will be a charity water well in the lobby that teaches people about clean water. The soaps, the linens, the furniture, the art, the coffee, everything in the building is going to be connected to a cause or a nonprofit. Hopefully there's going to be unparalleled creativity throughout. That's going to be my job as the art director. By staying in this hotel, you'd be affecting lives locally, domestically, and internationally. By staying at this hotel, you'll be changing the world in your sleep. This hotel is going to be built for the world, by the world. In fact, last year we launched a Kickstarter. We raised about 700 grand to get the ball rolling. All of those people are now our co-founders. It's incredible. Everything's getting darker, right? Terrorism, war, hunger, disease, hurricanes, mass shootings, politics, the list goes on and on and on. But Franklin Buechner said, purpose is where deep gladness meets the world's needs. And the question is when? And I believe more than ever, the time is right now. Please join me in building this dream. Simply, you can just join our mailing list today at thepurposehotel.com. You can text purposehotel to that number. Uh, I've been sending daily journals about where we are in the process. It's been really, really fun. So you see what I just did over the last couple of minutes. I took the first step by speaking my dreams and fears publicly to you. There's nothing that exists about this hotel yet except for the idea itself. But this is how ideas become reality. You have to take that first step. You have to speak your dreams into existence. I encourage people to text or call or email somebody today. Just get it out there. Just tell them what your dreams are. If I can do all this, then just imagine what all of you can do. What have you been too afraid to try? What voices have kept you from reaching your potential? What voices have closed your sense of wonder? If you're alive, if you're breathing, we need you. We need your vision. Remember the very word impossible actually spells I'm possible. And of course, as you now know, again, you can do anything through Christ who strengthens you. That's all for this talk. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, for that. of course. It's going to take me a minute to um, pull myself back together. Yeah, oftentimes I literally weep through that talk. Uh, it always, especially when I do this talk for kids, I just end up bawling because I see the talk through their eyes and I can't handle it. So thankfully I, I survived this morning without crying. And if you're crying, then awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really am grateful that you uh, have come this morning to share your story with us. Um, just a couple of questions as we kind of wrap up our time together. I, I'd like to know what it is that the process that you go through in your own life when a new idea surfaces and the voices in the back of your head start telling you that you can't. What are the mechanisms, the skills that you've acquired over the years to push against that? Yeah, well, I didn't say this in the last service, but at 28 years old, I remember sitting down with a mentor and him saying he had ideas for days, and I just remember thinking, I'll never be that guy. I'll never be the idea guy. And here I am at 40, just 12 years later, and ideas really are like working out. It's a muscle that you have to 
grow and develop to start believing in yourself. And um, so when I have an idea, I would document it immediately because I know ideas are like a fly. They just go away if you don't catch it, you know. And so then I uh, usually tell my wife first. My wife is awesome because she'll be like, yeah, it's a great idea. I'm going to go to Target. Did you take out the trash? I'll be back in a little while. I'm going to say, did you hear anything I said? You know, so she's really honest with me. But when I told her about the hotel, like she wept on the spot. She just cried. And, uh, and so I bounce it by her. I bounce it by a couple of my business partner, a couple of other friends who I know will be honest with me. And then uh, obviously there's a lot of prayer involved. Um, and then I'll wait. Usually time will tell if an idea is good. And then I'll also judge it by the depth and thoroughness of the idea. Because sometimes an idea is like, oh, it would be cool to make an app that does this. And the idea ends there. But if you keep having yeah. thoroughness of the idea, then that's when I know it might be good to pursue it. That's good. Uh, you know, you in your story, you talk a lot about sort of the societal box that we grow up in. You talked about your academic um, track record and just the other ways in which the world around us tells us no or tells us you can't. I'm of the belief that every one of us has an, a beautiful idea that just needs to come out. Mm-hmm. So what would you tell these folks who might be sitting on an idea and they're in a box um, that's preventing that idea from being birthed? What would you tell them about how to break through? Well, the fear and the doubt and the scary feeling it just doesn't go away I'm still scared daily with the hotel but I've just learned that fear is just a part of the process it's like my little buddy in the passenger seat that's always yelling at me trying to keep my eyes off the road the buddy being Satan you know trying to distract me and but I'm just like man I just know know that this is a God-given vision and it has to be you know it has to be pursued um but I would also say that uh, ideas really are again like working out and if you say no to your first idea, you're likely saying no to your 20th idea, because I found that ideas build on themselves. Because yeah. the first, when I did the first idea, they gave me, oh, that kind of worked. I can, then I would have another idea. Then I would have another idea. Then I would have another idea. And they just keep expanding. And now I'm the guy who has ideas for days. I literally have hundreds of ideas that I document in a program called Evernote. And so, again, at 28, I was never the idea guy. But I really do believe it's like working out developing yourself um so just you just gotta jump you know like if if you're staying at the cliff and there's a body of water and you're scared to jump in like you just gotta you just gotta go for it god's got you he's the one who gave you the idea in the first place so can't encourage you enough yeah that's good and you mentioned god how has your journey with god your evolution with god how has that changed over the years through your work yeah well i used to um well, I'll put it this way. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a, like, classic church kid. I went to every church camp. I went to every youth group. Went to every, I used to lead worship for years. Like, I'm just that kid. And in church, you know, they always talked about quiet time. I always remember doing quiet times. And it's funny because as an adult, I find that during the quiet times is when these ideas and vision hit me. And uh, so, to me, they are standing in the shower, something about water pouring over over me and just being alone, no screens, no laptops, no phones. I just, like, it's a beautiful brainstorm session. The other times, like, when I'm laying in bed and I can't go to sleep and there's no phone, you just, you're just allowing yourself to dream when you're driving to work or from work. And, you know, it's like, 
there's so much distraction, there's so much noise right now that a uh, quiet time is such a beautiful, valuable space, and I'm always paying attention because I just feel like God's like, oh, good, you finally put your phone away. Now I can speak to you, you know? Um, but I do have my phone close by because I know that if I do have an idea or vision that I have to document it, uh, have to get it written down right away. Yeah. I think that's totally true. I, in, in this day and age, I think we don't spend enough time in quiet. We're, there's anxiety that comes from quiet. We get in the car, we turn on the radio, just so much noise. But I agree with you. I think it's in that, those quiet spaces that, that we're able to experience God in, in a different way through no filters, but just God in us. And out of that comes a lot of beautiful work. Mm-hmm. So, You've taken millions of pictures over the years. Is there a favorite? Do you have a favorite photograph that you've taken? Yeah, I mean, there's so many for so many different reasons. There's favorite creative photos. There's favorite heartfelt photos. There's favorite photos of my kids and my, my family. But one, one that comes to my don't show it yet because I want to set it up first. Uh, we didn't have it in the last service, so you all get to see the photo I'm about to talk about. But um, uh a couple years ago when the wildfires hit Gatlinburg, it was really rare for a while. You know, usually wildfires are hitting the West Coast, not the East Coast. And so I didn't know what to do, but I wanted to do something because I grew up going to Gatlinburg and visiting a lot. But I was sitting in church listening to my pastor. Actually, not listening to my pastor, but I had an idea. I told him, I was like, I said, dude, it's a compliment. You're inspiring me to have ideas. Uh, <laughs> but for some reason, I had this idea during the middle of church of... Um, of a drone and a mattress. I had never worked with drones. I think they're geeky and unnecessary. Uh, <laughs> but, but I was like, I need it. I got to get a drone. And so um, drone and a mattress. And I had this thought like, man, if you took a white, a stark white mattress and placed it in the middle of these burnt homes, you know, charred brown black homes, and then put the homeowners laying on the mattress and allowed them to be in their home for the last time, um, and to just lay there and, and take this portrait of them laying, it would be a re- I think it would be a really powerful uh, photo. So we went up to the mountains. It's freezing. It's five degrees, five layers of clothes. You know, it's like just miserable. The wind is blowing. It's just not a great time for photos. But we, we fly the drone. I had a guy helping me. So I'm looking at this iPad remote. And we, I took the picture, and I just instantly started weeping. Mm-hmm. Because I was seeing the vision that God literally dropped on me in the middle of church. Y'all can show the photo. Um, So, yeah, you know, drone flies up 300 feet. And then to see that, I just lost it, you know. And this guy had built his home with his own hands, like, over the course of many years. And he was a famous musician. And, you know, to see him laying in all his devastation just took my breath away. Um, and again, that was seriously like God said, drone in a mattress in the middle of church. I'm like, all right, here we go. Um, so yeah, it's amazing what can happen when you just take the time to listen. And by the way, the series of photos I did with the drones is now permanently installed in the mountains. There's a physical memorial up at the top of the mountain that people now can go visit. And so that's the most meaningful when I can help with my camera and it, people actually are thankful. Because you never want to be the guy going in to um, take advantage of a situation or make it about yourself. You want to actually help with your talents. And so to see the city embrace this uh, idea was really beautiful. Uh, that's cool. Well, just one last question um, with our time that we have left. And I, I'm just curious, what, what do you think is beautiful? What inspires you? 
Um, I sometimes feel like it's cliche, but I just find inspiration everywhere, truly. Um, you know, I'm inspired by, truly, by my kids on so many levels. Um, my wife's inspired me lately. She just became a real estate agent, and she's just crushing it, and she's doing amazing. And, um, you know, I'm inspired by music and TV and film, creativity. I'm inspired by other illustrators and photographers. But I'm even inspired by light when I walk outside and look, look around at the world. I'm inspired when I fly and look down at God's creation. Like, I just feel like truly inspiration is everywhere. And, but we're living in such, such, such dark times, darkest times I've ever experienced in my life, at least. Um, and we, we, you know, God has called us to be the light in the world. And it's more important than ever that we, and this is a big struggle for me, but to turn off the news and to stop reading everything and to stop arguing and to just be the light. I'm actually about to release a new talk on this subject of being a light. Um, but yeah, I think it's, Inspiration is everywhere, everywhere you look. My wife, a couple weeks ago, was, had a really bad day, and she was complaining about everything. Everything's awful. Everything is awful. Um, <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's so bad. We've got a roof over our heads, and we've got water to drink, and we have four amazing kids, and we love our church and our community group and our friends. You know, just yeah. kind of like reminding her that, you know, we are, if you're alive and you're here and you're healthy and you're, you know, like, I just think we're blessed, yeah. you know, and so um, we have every reason to be inspired. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, I want to thank you for being here today, for, for documenting your story, sharing your story with us. I, I have followed your work for years. I have so enjoyed your photographs. I, there is something about the images that you take um, that illuminate hope in them, right? You've taken pictures of some dark things, but hope comes out of them. And um, I am, am inspired by visual things as well. And I'm just grateful for your work, for the challenge that you have given to so many people to let that thing that's inside of them come out into the world um, because it will make a difference. So thank you for making Absolutely. a difference. Thank you for inspiring us. And thanks for being here today. Of course. Appreciate yeah. It. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So as we uh, continue with this next part of our service, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for Jeremy, and I'm going to pray for us as we allow this time of worship to be a response to that thing that's burning up inside of you that God has placed inside of you. So will you pray with me? So Father, we do. We come before you this morning grateful and humbled, grateful for the countless ways that you have shown us your love, even today. We're grateful that you have given us, each of us, a purpose and a place and an opportunity to serve you and your people. I'm grateful for Jeremy, for allowing him to be born into a home with two parents who instilled in him the power of Jesus that reminded him that he could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Would you remind us of that? In these few moments we have left in our service, would you make that crystal clear, never more evident than it's been right now in this moment? Hear our worship. Hear our praise. For you we are grateful. Amen. What
powerful song. What a powerful morning. Thank you, Donnie, for picking that song. It is an incredible, incredibly great way to close our time together. Thank you, Jeremy. Look forward to um, talking more about how we want to partner uh, with the hotel uh, in, the, in the weeks to come. But as we leave this place, I want to thank you for being here. If you filled out this Connect card, take it to the uh, guest services desk on your way out. We have a free gift for you. I'm the only one that has one of these gifts, and they are really cool, right? Don't fake it and just fill out a card if you've been here for like 10 years. But do go and fill it out. Drop it off out there. And if you are looking to get connected, to make a friend, to find how you can take your next steps, I invite you to stop by the next tables. There are people there specifically trained and eager to connect with you. Just right out the doors and to your right over in the corner. Stop by there. They'd love to meet you. And then there will be people down here that would love to pray with you if you need some prayer today. Will you bow your heads as we close our service today? Father, again, I thank you that your love for us is the same as it has always been that there is nothing we have done or nothing that we will do to make you love us any more than you do right now in this very moment. Would you renew that understanding? Would you fill us with that understanding of your love so that as we leave this place today, we are inspired, inspired to change the world and to make a difference each and every moment of each and every day. And I promise God, when it's said and done, when the hundreds of ideas that are birthed out of this place come to fruition and your kingdom is advanced, we will give you all the honor, and the glory, and the praise because it's only in you and through you that we can do anything. It's your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great day.